These past few weeks, we've been looking at a lot of come and sees in the life of Jesus. And um, just in life itself, there are a lot of come and see moments. And people say, hey, come and see the new grandbaby. Come and see our new house. Uh, come and see the uh, new 2015 cars that we've got over here. Or come and see our, our new product line. Or come and see this latest project that I have just completed. It's always an invitation. I want you to come and I want you to see something. And, uh, you know, me, I, I love watching uh, TV commercials and stuff. And I love those. That's that one guy that always does those uh, different car commercials. And he always closes up by, hey, why don't you come and see us now, you know? And, and there's always that, hey, come and see. And, and you always say, hey, I want to come and see. And whenever you hear that come and see, there, there's this wonderful invitation thinking that when you get there, there's going to be something really good. Hey, come and see. You need to come and see this. Well, there are come and sees in regular life. There are come and sees all throughout Scripture. There are come and sees that we have covered in the life of Jesus. But none is more important than what we talk about today. Today is the greatest and the most important come and see in the history of mankind. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to open to Matthew chapter 28. And we will start in the first verse. Matthew 28, starting in the first verse. To set the stage, Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, has lived about 33 years and then was arrested, was beaten, was taken to a cross, and was crucified on a Friday. They took his body down before sundown, and they took it and they prepared it. And they wrapped it with linens and with spices and uh, and ointments and prepared it for burial. And then they took it to a uh, rich man's tomb, Joseph of Arimathea, and they placed the body there and they rolled the stone in front. And so before sundown, he was buried. And then the Romans, just so that no one would come and steal the body, put a Roman guard around there and put a seal across the tomb. And that was on Friday. And on Sunday morning, you pick up the story and it's found in the first verse Of chapter 28 of Matthew. And he says, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. Now, just start there. They went to see the tomb. And you'll see in other areas that they had brought spices and they wanted to anoint the body. And they were wondering who would roll the stone away so that they could come and and anoint the body. And it says, and behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and they became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. And in verse 6, it says, He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Now, this was a come and see invitation that the angel made. And when, she made, when he made this invitation... There were some truths to this that we need to be certain of. Number one, 
The first thing is that whenever the angel made this statement to come and see, it verifies that what the angel says is true, and that is Jesus is risen. It verifies that what the angel said is true, Jesus is risen. It's one thing for you to come walking into this garden and to see the stone rolled away and an angel to be sitting there, that, that'd freak you out enough. But then for them to say, hey, he's alive. Well, can I look? No, just take my word. Just take my word. He's not in there. He's alive. But the angel didn't do that. The angel said, hey, he is risen, just like he said he was. Come and see where he lay. That's a past tense that says, I want you to come and see where they had laid the body. I want you to come on in. Come on in and see where he laid the body. There was an invitation for them to come and see. I want to affirm that what I'm telling you is the truth. So ladies, y'all come on in and see. So when they came and they saw, what did they see? Well, in order to understand what they see, you need to go to another gospel, which is the gospel of John. And in the gospel of John, in the 20th chapter, it talks about how that when the ladies went back and they told the disciples that Jesus had risen from the dead, then all of a sudden Peter and John run to the tomb. And when they run to the tomb, this is what they see. It says this in verse 6, then Simon Peter came following him, following John, and he went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloth lying there. And the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. And then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and he believed. He saw and he believed. He saw and he believed because as soon as he went in, he saw what was in the tomb. There was no body, but there were these linen cloths that were lying. And the way that word is used and phrased is that they were lying in the same condition in which they were in there in the first place, which means it was like a cocoon. It'd be like if Jesus, his body, he just like evaporated and then the linens just... And there was no, uh, there was no struggle there. There was no disarray. It was not like the linens were all torn apart and then somebody was stolen out of it. It was wrapped around it just as he was when he was buried. And then it's just like the body was just gone and they were lying there. And there was a napkin that went across the face and it said that that had been taken and folded neatly and set over in the side. And it was so powerful of a testimony that it says as soon as John looked at it and he saw that, he believed. He believed that Jesus was risen from the dead just by looking at the grave clothes there. You see, the stone was rolled away not so that Jesus could get out. The stone was rolled away so that we could get in and that the women and the disciples could look in there and see that Jesus is truly risen from the dead and that he is no longer dead, but he is alive. And so when the angel gave this invitation to come and see, they gave this invitation so that they would know that the resurrection was real. And that all of a sudden you look, you've got an empty tomb, you've got the grave clothes that are there, you've got the fact that no one ever found a dead body, you've got a fact that there are over 500 people that saw him, talks about in the book of Corinthians, that he appeared to over 500 people, and that the lives of those disciples, they went from cowards to martyrs. And when you put all of that together, there is no question. It's an historical fact that Jesus Christ, who once was dead, is now alive. And that he is risen from the dead. And so the angel says, come and see. This is the invitation. Well, that was one thing that was important. Let me tell you the second thing. This come and see invitation verifies that Jesus always fulfills his promises. Jesus always fulfills his promises. 
The angel said, he has risen just as he said. He has risen just as he said. Now, looking at these ladies, you've known him for three years. You followed him, and everything that he has said is true. And he told you that he was going to be raised from the dead, and this verifies that that's exactly what happened. Look, look what it says. Let me just go through some passages with you. Matthew 16, 21. In Matthew 16, 21, it says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. That was chapter 16. Then you get to chapter 17. When they came together in Galilee, he said to them, The Son of Man, that's Jesus, is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. Go over a few more chapters. Chapter 20, Matthew 20. Now, as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside and he said to them, We're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. Did he tell his disciples that he was going to die and be raised on the third day? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Once, twice, three. It just keeps going on. And he keeps telling them. He says, guys, I don't want you to be surprised about this, but I am going to be arrested. I am going to be beaten. I am going to be killed. I am going to die for the sins of man, but I will be resurrected from the dead. I just want you guys to know that. And so this was his promise. And when the angel said, I want you to come and see. When the angel says, come and see, I want you to see that he kept his word. I want you to see that on the biggest stage of life, Jesus kept his word. Come and see. Come and see. Why that is so important is because in the most important part of the Christian faith is the resurrection. And to know that Jesus kept his promise there, it means he keeps his other promises. That when Jesus promises to give us peace... He can do that. When God, when Jesus promises that he will offer the forgiveness of sins and can forgive you of your sins and can give you a new start, he can follow through on that promise. When Jesus says that I can promise you an abundant and a fulfilling life, he can follow through on that promise. And you see, when Jesus can look down and say, I can give you hope, even though your life may seem hopeless, he can follow through on that promise. And when Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these other things will be added unto you, he can follow through on that promise. And he can show you direction, and he can show you a purpose for your life. And when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and life, no man comes to the Father except through me, he can follow through on that promise that he is the only one that can get us access to God and to be a part of God's family and to spend eternity in heaven with him. He's the only one that can do that. And you see, he follows through on his promises. So when the angel says, hey, I want you to come and see. Remember he promised that he was going to be raised from the dead? Take a look. He fulfilled his promise. Let me tell you the third aspect of this, and that is that it verifies that the Christian faith is unique and true. It verifies that the Christian faith is unique and true. Now, bottom line is all of us have sinned. And because of our sin and our wrongdoing, we are separated from God. 
And there's nothing that we can do in our fallen situation to be able to come into the presence of a holy God. We can do as many good things as we want to, but we will never be able to reach the the holiness and the righteousness of God that is needed on there. You and I are morally bankrupt, sinful creatures bound to spend an eternity in hell. And there's no amount of good works that will get us to the point of holy righteousness that is needed to be in the presence of God. And because of the justice of God, God says when there is sin, there has to be a penalty for that sin. And he set it up through the beginning of Scripture that the wages of sin is death. And he set up a sacrificial system in the Old Testament where you would take an innocent, innocent animal, kill that animal, take the blood of that animal, and that would cover the sins. It's the way God set it up. And God set that up because he says, I want you to understand that sin is not just some little thing that we say, hey, I'm going to do a few things that, that are against God and I know he'll be okay with it. God hates sin. And sin is an affront to God. And so all throughout the Old Testament, you had this sacrificial system. But then you see an amazing part of the mercy of God when he says, I'm going to show my love for the world to provide the ultimate sacrifice. And so he sent his son, Jesus Christ, stepped out of heaven onto earth in flesh, 100% man, 100% God, to live among us for 33 years. But then... The religious leaders and others rejected him. And he went to a cross and he died. And he became that perfect lamb, that perfect sacrifice. His life was perfect. He went to the cross. And for six hours, he was suspended between heaven and earth. And he shed his blood to cover our sins. And so he provided that sacrifice. And it would have been a sad story if it ended in a tomb on Friday. But see, the great news is that three days later, on Sunday morning, he's risen from the dead. And when Jesus rose from the dead, it showed and proved that he had conquered sin and he had conquered death. It's not just the fact that his blood was shed. It was the fact that his blood was shed, it covered our sin, and he conquered that sin and he conquered death and can give us eternal life. And when you look at at the resurrection, it verifies that the Christian faith is true and it verifies that it is unique. Because without the resurrection, Christianity falls. Everything about Christianity stands or falls on the resurrection. And the Apostle Paul knew this. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he's writing a letter to a church in Corinth where people were asking, is there truly resurrection from the dead? And what we mean by that is, is there uh, life after death? Look what he writes to them, starting in the 15th chapter, 14th verse. And he says, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Verse 17, one of the saddest verses there. If Christ has not been raised. And people say, hey, what's the big deal about the resurrection? Hey, I can take it or go. No, everything in Christianity hinges on the resurrection. Because if Jesus is not raised from the dead, then 
he is just a misguided teacher that came here for 33 years and had some followers and, and misled a lot of people because he claimed to be the son of God and he said that he was going to pay the penalty for our sins and that he, God was going to raise him from the dead. And so Paul understands this. And he says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sin. Sin still wins. Because that means Jesus would have gone to the cross. He said, I'm dying for your sins. And he died for our sins. And we said, oh, I'm thankful that you died for our sins. And if he's still dead, sin still wins. And we're still dead in our sins. But he's raised from the dead. It says in verse 18, then those who also have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Which means for us as believers, when we have family members that are also believers, it's difficult when they pass away from this world, but we have that hope that one day we'll see them in eternity. What he's saying here, hey, if Christ didn't raise from the dead, you'll never see your loved one because they've perished too. Verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. That's all our hope is, is in this life. But, verse 20, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead and the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He has risen from the dead. Now, because Christ has risen from the dead and because the tomb is empty, it sets Christianity apart from any other religion. Come and see. The women came, the angel sat there and said, Jesus is risen. I want you to come and see. I'm going to invite you to come and see and come into the tomb and look. Well, also, I'd like to take you on a come and see journey. I want you to take the come and see invitation. I want you to go to Medina in Saudi Arabia, and there you'll see the prophet Muhammad's tomb where he was buried in 632 A.D. And when you take that come and see and you come and take a look at his tomb, guess what? It's occupied. He's still there. Maybe you can go to Kiafu in the Shandong province in eastern China, and there you'll see the tomb where Confucius was buried in 479 B.C., and it's occupied. Or if you'd like to go to India, you can see where Siddhartha Gautama, who was known as the Buddha, died. And he was in Kushinara, India, which is right below the Himalayan mountains. And when the Buddha died, he asked... They, he asked that his body be cremated, and so they cremated his body, and they put his ashes in some different containers, and they placed them in these mound-like structures called stupas throughout Asia. And you could travel to any one of those stupas, and if you go to one of those stupas, I think you could go in there, and you could open up the urn or whatever, and his ashes are there. It's occupied. Come and see. But let me also invite you to go to Jerusalem. And you can go to Jerusalem and you can come and see and you can go to the garden tomb where they believe that Jesus was buried. And when you go to the garden tomb, guess what? He's not there. <laughs> it's empty. And the reason it's empty is because Jesus is risen. And this is what sets Christianity apart from any other religion. And so as people began to talk about this or that or, or we believe this or believe that or, or uh, I, I, I don't know, I think that's very similar to Christianity. Listen, what sets us apart is that Jesus, who claimed to be the Son of God, proved he was the Son of God through living a perfect life, dying a sacrificial death, and then raising from the dead and is alive today. And sits at the right hand of the Father, and guess what? He's coming back. And one day, he's coming back. And this is what sets everything apart. And when the angel said, come and see, 
The angel was verifying the uniqueness of the Christian faith and also the truth of the Christian faith. Now, I've been into this message probably about 18 minutes, and a number of you are saying, man, he's really off. He thinks it's Easter. He... You know, his poor wife's been talking to him about the holidays, and he's locked into Good Friday and Easter. Uh, I said, man, he needs a breather. That'd be good. Uh, but no, no, no. The Easter message is so important because, you see, the Easter message is what makes the Christmas message really great. The Easter message is what gives the Christmas message relevance and gives relevance to this whole Christmas event. The incarnation means absolutely nothing without the crucifixion and the resurrection. If there is no crucifixion and resurrection, then there's no need for us to be able to celebrate a baby being born there in Bethlehem. The reason we celebrate the baby being born in Bethlehem and we're excited about the incarnation in the manger is because we have the empty tomb and we know what's, what's coming up. You know, you only celebrate famous people's birthdays after they've died and done something famous. Does that make sense? Like we celebrate George Washington's birthday or Abraham Lincoln's birthday. When George Washington was first born, did somebody put on the calendar, hey, you got to remember that date, George Washington's born. No. It's only because he became the father of the country and did this great thing as a leader of our nation. And then there came a time when we said, we need to honor him because of what he's done. The reason that we have Christmas and that we remember the date of the birth of Christ is because of what he did 33 years later. He went to the cross and died for our sins and was raised from the dead. That is why we get excited about the incarnation. And when I see the empty tomb, it fires me up even more about the baby in the manger because this is where it all started. This is where it started right here. This is when God's plan was, was going into effect. And this is when God, who talked about it back in Genesis chapter 3, after the first sin of Adam and Eve, he talked about that this day was going to happen, and we celebrate that day. Man, that's why we celebrate Christmas. We celebrate Christmas not just because we've got a manger, but because we know we've got an empty tomb that's coming around the corner. Now, Luke chapter 2. Turn over in Luke chapter 2 real quick. Luke chapter 2. You see, now y'all going to really be happy because this is the Christmas uh, chapter over here. <clears throat> and look how these come together. Luke chapter 2. You've got uh, no room in the inn. They're there in the stable. Baby is born. You've got shepherds in the region. When the shepherds are in the region, all of a sudden an angel appears to them. And it says, the glory of the Lord shone about them. In verse 10, and the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a, tell me what that word is, a what? Say that again. Savior, okay? It is a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you that you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. What did they say was being born unto you? A Savior is being born to you. Now, if I didn't know the empty tomb part of the story, and I just was reading this, they said, a Savior is born. Really? So th there's going to be a Savior. What, what is that all about? Do we really understand what this means? 
But you see, knowing that there's an empty tomb, and when the angel said, there's a Savior being born, I'm over here going, amen, amen, amen. This is it. This is when the Savior is being born. This is when Christ himself puts on human flesh and is getting ready to go through and show us who the Father is through his life and through his teaching. He's going to show the incredible mercy and love of the Father by going to the cross to die for our sins. And he's going to raise from the dead and give me an opportunity to be adopted into God's family and to live with him for eternity. This is great news. This is great news. And so they said, a Savior is being born. And we know that that's true because there's an empty tomb. I've already told you how the story ends. And so since you know how the story ends, it should make you even more exciting when you see the beginning of the story. And so when the shepherds heard it, look what they did in verse 15. It says that when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. (laughs) There's some statements in the Bible that I kind of laugh at. This is one of them right here. You know, hey, hey, why don't we go over there? You know, the angels said a Savior's born. Why don't we go do that? (laughs) Duh. Yeah. I don't think there's a couple of guys that go, well, I don't know. I'm kind of tired. been a long day. Let's go see. Kind of a come and see. So what did they do? It says in verse 18, and they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. They had a come and see experience. The angel says, hey, there's a baby that's born in Bethlehem. You need to go see them. And so what they did was they said, we're going. There was an invitation. So they came to see the baby. They had a come and see experience experience and when they came and they came and they saw the baby and they saw the mom and the dad there they related to them what had been told them by the angels and they were the first to sit there and lay their eyes on this baby who was the son of God in the flesh and they went away rejoicing and they began to tell others so what is it when you get these come and see experiences man Come and see experiences are wonderful. But in both the incarnation and in the resurrection, they all ended the same way. They go from a come and see to a go and tell. And for these shepherds, they went and they told others. For the two ladies at the tomb, the angel says, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. Every come and see experience that we have, this invitation with Jesus, needs to result in go and tell. If you have come and seen who Jesus is and you've made a decision for him, then your next step is to go and tell. Don't keep this resurrection news to ourselves. We need to tell them that Jesus is alive. Don't keep this baby being born uh, news to yourself. You need to tell people that a Savior is born. You need to take action. You need to go tell. and You need to do it quickly. You need to tell them that he is risen. 
Now, I like what the angel said. The angel said, go tell them that Jesus is risen. He said, don't worry. Don't talk about the earthquake. Don't talk about the stone being moved away. You don't need to talk about the talking angel. You just need to focus your message on this. Jesus is risen. Go and tell. So this season, our Christmas season, this is a come and see invitation for every one of us to come and to come to the manger and to see the incredible gift of love and mercy that God has poured out by putting his son in the flesh here on earth who will later go to a cross, be buried in a tomb, and then will raise from the dead so that we can have eternal life. We need to come and see and we need to go and tell. And I can't think of a better way to close out our service is for us to sing about Christ being risen. So Michael, if you can come at this time, and I'm going to ask every one of us to stand up at this time. And I want us to stand. And as we stand, I want you to put your mouths and your hearts together. And we want to sing about Christ is risen indeed, because that is the good news. That is the great news that we have in Jesus Christ. And we have this Christmas season. The reason we will be celebrating this Christmas season is because we have an empty tomb. And the tomb is empty. And because the tomb is empty, the message is that Christ is risen and Christ is risen indeed. The angel is given the invitation, you come and see. And after the invitation came of come and see, the angel then said, you go and tell. So folks, let's sing it. Let's sing it from our heart and let's rejoice with the fact that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed.